You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose Sermon Podcast. To get connected at Sojourn Montrose, visit our website, sojournmontrose.org. If I asked most of you why it is that you find yourself here this morning, you might give me any number of reasons. You might say, well, I'm here because I come every week. Or you might say, I'm here because I want to hear the word preached, or I want to sing songs, or I want to see my church family, or, or I'm here because I wanted to get connected with people in the community. Um, but I bet near the top of all of our lists, if we were honest, is that you have come here this morning, or you have placed yourself within the local church because you want to have an experience with the divine. You want to have an encounter with God. I mean, that's really the reason that people pursue engagement in any sort of spiritual community is because, because we want to experience God. I mean, many of us in the room have probably asked God. We've begged Him to reveal Himself to us. Maybe in a moment of weariness or in a season of depression or anxiety or, or maybe in a, seri- a season of excitement where you've experienced God's grace in powerful ways and all you can do is crave more and more of it. But all of us have probably at some point cried out that God would reveal himself. That, that we would see his glory. And at the core of the Bible's message is this deep desire of God to be glorified. And so God's glory is a key subject in the Bible, but that term God's glory is one that we, I think, often fail to consider what it really means. It seems a bit nebulous to say God's glory. It seems a a, a bit undefined. So so what does it mean? I think the best definition I've seen for what God's glory is, is a manifestation of God's holiness. Meaning God's glory is when He reveals His attributes and His character and His actions to the world. God's glory is when He reveals how altogether wonderful and set apart He is from the creation that we live in that's marred by sin and brokenness. God's glory is the beautification of God. That's what the great Jonathan Edwards would say. It's the beautification of God as He is revealed to be supremely lovely Awesome, powerful, inscrutable, and wonderful. So when God reveals himself, God receives glory. And recently, I have been dealing with a lot of weariness. I've been dealing with a lot of sadness and worry and anxiety. In fact, in a moment of honesty earlier this week, I was talking with my wife and And I just asked her, kind of through teary eyes, I said, why does it seem like over the last two years, pretty much only bad things have happened? Why does it seem like everything that happens just seems to be really hard? And it's times like these that I often find myself wanting to see God's glory. And and when I do, I often feel at a loss. I often don't know where to go, what to look for. And I I don't think I'm alone in this. Humans were created to bear the image of God. Which means that we were created to be beings radiating God's glory. Intimately familiar with it. 
And so, of course, we yearn for it in sorrow. Of course, we beg for it when we're in a season of doubt. Of course, we shout for it when we're joyful and jubilant. We were created for that. And this week, as I prepared this sermon, as I studied this text, what I realized is that that God's glory has been right in front of me, and I just failed to recognize it as glorious. And so I hope this morning that as we dig in, that we could all together reacquaint ourselves with God's glory, where we go to to find it, how it is that he's revealed it to us. And to get there, first let's look back at Exodus chapter 33, which we were in last week. And And if you weren't with us, really what we saw is that God mercifully agreed to send his presence with the people of Israel in their journey in the wilderness to the promised land. Even though the people of Israel had had rejected God altogether and they they worshipped other gods, God said, my presence will still go with you. And at the end of this encounter between God and Moses, where God agrees to send his presence with his people, Moses asks this question. Exodus 33, verse 18, Moses says, please show me your glory. Please show me your glory. Just like we ask, Moses says, please, God, show me your glory. And what happens? Well, first, this is what God tells Moses. He says, I will make my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, Yahweh. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. So God says to Moses, he says, okay, you can see my glory, but but you can't see all of it. You can't see my face because it would be too much glory for you. You wouldn't be able to handle it. You would die in the presence of the fullness of my glory. But God gave Moses instruction on what he was to do if he wanted to experience God's glory. He said this, he said, stand on the rock, Moses. There on Mount Sinai, stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you and hide you in a cleft of the rock. And I will cover you with my hand until I've passed by. And then Yahweh tells Moses in verse 1 of chapter 34, He gives him more instructions after he tells him to stand and hide within the rock. He says, cut for yourself before you come up two tablets of stone like the first. And I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets. And I will write on the tablets those words which on the tablets that you broke. And so Moses heads up the mountain where God has revealed himself over and over and over again in the book of Exodus. And he's, he's heading up to find this rock that God told him to stand on and hide in. And he has these new stone tablets. Because if, if you remember back a, a couple chapters ago when Moses came down the mountain the first time with the tablets of, of the covenant of the law, he saw the people of Israel worshiping other gods and he got angry and he threw the tablets on the ground and they were shattered. So God says, bring some more tablets. I will write it with my hands. I will write the law with my hands. So as Moses is going up the mountain where God has said, I'm going to show you my glory. I mean, I wonder what was going through his head. I wonder what he was expecting. 
I, I don't know what he was expecting, but I'm sure it was something magnificent, something glorious. And so picking up in verse 5, this is what the text says, chapter 34, verse 5. It says, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there. And he proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, or Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But by, by who will by no means clear the guilty? Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So Moses goes up the mountain, expecting God to reveal his glory. And God does begin to reveal his glory, but, but it's not a vision that Moses sees. It's through his ears that Moses receives the glory of God. It's through God's word, which speaks of God's character, which proclaims God's own name. Church, God's glory is in his name, Yahweh. God's glory is in his attributes of grace and mercy and faithfulness and unending love and justice and eternality. So what we see is God's glory if we're wanting to find it, is revealed in his speech and in his character. But this isn't where the text ends. If we kept going to verse 10 of chapter 34, God would say this. He says, Behold, Moses, I am making a covenant. Before all your people, I will do marvels such as not have been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of Yahweh, for it is an awesome thing that I will do. So God's glory is not only revealed in his speech and in his character. God's glory is also revealed and experienced in the way that he chooses to relate to his people through covenants marked by grace and blessing in spite of sinfulness. Though Israel just a few days before had turned from Yahweh, groveling at the feet of impotent, worthless gods, God's glory is being revealed to them and that he is renewing the covenant he made before. That he would be their God and that they would be his people and that he would lead them in victorious, triumphant procession into the land that he has promised them. So when Moses was going up the mountain expecting God to reveal his glory, he had no idea what, what was actually going to happen. He didn't know what he was going to get when God agreed to show him his glory. But I'm guessing he didn't think that mainly God revealing his glory was going to be telling him things that he had already heard. After all, Yahweh ends this discourse. If we kept reading after verse 10, he ends this glorious discourse in which Moses is experiencing as full a measure of God's glory as he can handle. Yahweh ends it by by telling Moses that the response for him and his people should be that they would worship no other gods. In a sense, God says, 
And so you should respond by obeying the Ten Commandments that I gave you. You should respond by keeping the Sabbath. And then God tells him, and you should respond by observing the three feasts that I've given you to celebrate. The Passover, the Feast of Ingathering or the Feast of Booths, and the Feast of Weeks. None of this is new to Moses. This was the, the stuff that Israel had abandoned, but it wasn't new. God's glory, however, is revealed powerfully in renewing the relationship that he had with his people, even though his people had sought to reject it. God's speech or his word is what establishes covenant relationship between him and a sinful group of men and women. Church, this is the glory of God. This is the glory of God. This is the manifest beauty and holiness of Yahweh. That he would look upon a sinful people and he would choose to reveal himself, that he would choose to give them instruction, that he would choose to relate to them as a father would a son. Though they've rejected him over and over in the very short amount of time they've had commandments to follow, all they've done is disobeyed them, and yet God's glory is revealed in renewing that covenant. Moses was on the mountains, and he saw and heard and knew the glory of God in the most magnificent way that any human had experienced probably since Adam in the garden. And it was through all the things that Moses already knew. It was through God's name, which God had already revealed to him. It was through God's character, which God had already revealed to him. It was through God's covenant relationship, which Moses already knew about. And this was so glorious that let's look at what happened when Moses came down the mountain. It says, as Moses was coming down the mountain, Aaron and all the people of Israel saw him. And behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face because it was shining. So Moses had been with the Lord on the mountain, and he was able to see and hear and taste and feel the manifest beauty of God, and it was so radiantly glorious that when he came down, his face was shining. And it was shining so bright that it terrified the people of Israel. The people of Israel couldn't bear to see God's glory even secondhand on the face of Moses. So we have to ask our question, why? Why did Moses have to veil his face? Why was the revealed glory of God on the mountain through the law and the covenant so glorious that the people couldn't, couldn't understand it? They couldn't bear to look at it. Well, if we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul will begin to tell us. 
And we're going to read a long section from 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And so if you want to turn there, feel free to. Uh, if not, I would just in- invite you to, to try to lean in and-, and hear what the word of the Lord says. The Apostle Paul writes, he says, Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Now remember, the Apostle Paul is writing after the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. Long after the days of Moses. And he says, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters of stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? So this is Paul talking about the covenant given to Moses. He's calling it the ministry of death, and he says, if it had so much glory, even though it was temporary, What will we say of this new ministry of the Spirit? He says, For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. And then he says, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains because only through Christ is it taken away. But... When one turns to the Lord, Paul writes, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. So that is a lot. But here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying that the glory that Moses experienced that day on the mountain was real glory. That there was real beauty being revealed in the covenant of the law. But it was only glorious in that it pointed out or pointed towards something that had not yet come to pass. The law given on the mountain to Moses revealed God's holiness and it revealed it gloriously. But the law also had another effect, which was that it made the people deeply aware of their sinfulness. Sinfulness, which they learned over and over and over again, led to death. At least apart from sufficient sacrifice. So the covenant made the people aware of their need to be faithful. The covenant given to the people of Israel made them aware that they needed to be faithful, but it didn't provide them the power or the freedom to remain faithful. So Paul referred to that covenant, the covenant made with Moses, the old covenant. He referred to it as the ministry of death 
and the ministry of condemnation, even though he said it was glorious. The ministry of condemnation, the ministry of death, was still glorious because it was preparing the way for a ministry to come through Jesus that leads to life. So when Moses experienced God's glory, the Bible says that God descended to be with him on the mountain. And it was glorious. God's glory is revealed as he descends to be with his people. But the descent on the mountain with Moses was not the greatest descent of God. There was a a greater one to come. See, God descended from his holy heavenly mountain into the womb of a mother. God descended into the messiness of the lives of sinful people and all of God's glory that had been revealed and foreshadowed in the days before, in the days of Moses, in the writings of the prophets were now found in the person of Jesus Christ. Descended to dwell with us. And apart from him, all the things written in the days of Moses, all the things written on tablets of stone by the word and the power of God are meaningless. Apart from Christ, they have no glory. Because apart from Christ, they only lead to death. They only lead us to realize our condemnation as a result of our sin. See, the law that men and women once read and aspired to obey has now through the work of Jesus, been graven on our hearts. No longer on tablets of stone, but on our hearts. It's been made part of our very identity. See, God's glory is now present, not in the center of the tabernacle or the temple, not on on, on the mountain with Moses, a holy man, But God's glory is revealed and it's present in the hearts of all who trust in Christ through faith. See, when Moses wanted to see God's glory, God gave him instruction. He said, go to the mountain and find the rock that I'll lead you to and and stand upon the rock and, and hide within the cleft of this rock. And it would be there that God would make his glory manifest. It, was, it would be there that his beauty would be revealed to Moses. And if we went back to Exodus chapter 17, we would see that, that, that the people of Israel were in desperate need of water. And they were in a desert and there was no water. And God told Moses to go to this same mountain and find the rock and strike it with his staff. And from it, rivers of living water would flow. And if we went to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul would tell us that that the rock on the mountain that gave water and the rock on the mountain where Moses hid to see the glory of God revealed is a physical representation of spiritual things to come in Jesus Christ, the Word of God, the solid rock. So church, if you want to see the glory of God, if you came here this morning hoping to encounter God's glory, to see His beauty, hide yourself in the rock of ages. Cleft for you. 
Make Jesus the solid rock, your firm foundation. Make his work, his sinless life, his sacrificial death, his glorious resurrection, make that your only hope. Because through it, you will relate to God through a glorious covenant in which His glory and beauty and holiness and love and faithfulness will be revealed to you from this day on and forevermore. God's glory is supremely revealed to us through the person, work, and ministry of Jesus The Son of God, the Word of God made flesh, the speech of God made flesh, the name of God made flesh, the solid rock. But I can say that you'll experience God's glory when you put your hope in Jesus. But but if you have put your hope in Jesus, how is it that you will see God's glory more and more all the time? Because Paul tells us that God is transforming us from one degree of glory to the next, that we will not only experience and see God's glory more and more over our lives, but that we will radiate it more and more. And so how is it that we will come into contact with God's glory? Well, we'll come into contact with God's glory through His Son, and to see His Son, we need to look no further than the Word of God. We need to look no further than the Scriptures which reveal Him clearly. Remember, church, even to Moses on the mountain, God's glory wasn't revealed primarily through seeing him, but primarily through hearing from him. And he has spoken clearly in his word. If we want to see and experience God's glory, we can lean into the beautiful gift of prayer through which God has invited us to speak to him and to hear from him. And to participate in the running of the universe as he responds to our prayers. If we want to see and experience and be nourished by God's glory, we can run to the table this morning. We can run to the table this morning where the beautiful salvation of Jesus is made gloriously manifest to us in bread, which is his body, and wine, which is his blood. The blood of a new covenant. Church, if we want to experience God's glory, we can rest in the comfort of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We can rest in the comfort of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Why? Because through the Spirit, they have the law, the Word of God written on their hearts. They have the Spirit of God dwelling within them. And so in their lives, you'll see the glory and beauty and faithfulness and love of God. And this might be the hardest one for you to believe, but, but if you want to, to see God's glory and, and you're in the room this morning and you have placed your faith in Christ, you could, you could look in the mirror. You could look in the mirror because there you will find a man or a woman in whom God is gloriously dwelling, working, perfecting, and radiating His glory. See, the glory radiating from those who have had the law of God written on our hearts, who have had the work of God made manifest in our hearts, who have the full assurance of forgiveness in the work of Jesus, is far greater glory than the man who held the word of God, Moses. Though our faces may not shine, we radiate far more glory than Moses, and we don't have to veil our faces anymore. Don't miss this, church. 
God's Spirit is within you, transforming you and making you altogether lovely in the eyes of the Father. And He's invited you to a glorious ministry of reconciliation and of life and of righteousness in which you allow that glory of a God who would choose to relate to a sinful people, to a sinful man or a sinful woman, he is allowing you to reflect and radiate that glory to those around you. He's given you power to obey the law, which once held us captive in condemnation because he's given us his very spirit to allow us to pursue it with joyfulness and gladness and faithfulness. See, these common daily things, the Word of God, the people of God, prayer to God, these are where we go. Because these common daily things are radiating the glory of God to us. See, when Moses experienced God's glory, God called him to worship. He said, worship me and no other God. And then he called Moses to rest in his promises. He said, trust me, I will give you the land that I've promised you. And then he called Moses to celebrate in, in the sacrifice of the Passover. He called them to celebrate sacrifice on behalf of the people in the Passover meal. He called them to celebrate that God had revealed himself in his word through scripture in the Feast of Weeks. And he called them to celebrate his provision and sustaining grace in the wilderness years through the Feast of Booths. And church, it's really not that different for us. We are to worship Christ. We're to remember that his death and resurrection on our behalf are our only hope. We're to celebrate and read and take to heart the words that God has given us in his book. And we're to be thankful and full of expectation that God always has and always will sustain us, nourish us, and guide us in triumphant procession, even in the difficulties of this life. And even for Moses, they didn't only look back. The people of Israel didn't only look back, but God called them to look forward to the future glory of this promised land of Canaan flowing with milk and honey. And church, I can tell you that we also look forward to future glory far greater than the land of Canaan. Far greater than a, a place flowing with milk and honey. We look forward to a future glory where our faith and the glory we read and hear and speak to one another will be made sight in the midst of all of these things that we experience now. One day we will be in a land greater than Canaan where the light is no longer the sun, but the light provided in that land will be the glory of God. And we'll see his face there, his glorious face that Moses wasn't allowed to see, but that he revealed in his son. And it will be even more glorious than it was in the days of Peter and John. And so for now, we can take part in the glory that God has revealed to us in his speech and in his word and his character and his covenant relationship with us and we can look forward to a greater thing to come even though life is often very difficult now if we kept reading in 2 Corinthians we would see in chapter 4 the apostle Paul writes this he says for this light 
and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. So wherever you are this morning in your walk with God, even if that means you don't currently have one, I would invite you to behold His glory in His Son through the power of His Spirit spoken in His Word and be transformed by it today and forever from one degree of glory to the next until that day when all the things that we long for are made plain sight. Let's pray. Father, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. How majestic is your name in all the earth. For you have You've placed the stars in their heavenly dwelling places. You have planted the trees before us. You have made all things altogether lovely to proclaim your glory, but mostly your glory is proclaimed in your Son and in that you relate to us. So Lord, would we never take for granted the the simplicity of, of the fact that you have revealed yourself to be glorious in a book that speaks of your son who's altogether lovely, who's altogether faithful. Father, would you let us see your glory? And will we not pine for it in the form of visions and dreams and magic tricks, but would we just pine for it in relationship with you through the simple things of prayer and communion with one another and communion with you and and knowing your word and taking it to heart and walking in faithfulness and loving our brothers and sisters and encouraging our neighbors. God, when we're desperate for you, would you remind us that you've revealed yourself, that you've revealed yourself in powerful ways through your son. God, I pray that this morning, even in your meal, your glory would be made manifest as we partake of it and are nourished by it. Would you sustain us until that day when the things that are unseen are seen? It's in your son's glorious name, his lovely name, his beautiful name that we pray. Amen.